Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview John and talk about planning for surrogacy. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my finally back from vacation co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Mindy. It's great to be finally Dune with my vacation and back to work. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting or what big expenses you have coming down the pipeline. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or deal with the expensive costs of starting a family um, with you know, uh, surrogacy, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, we have a new segment of The Money Show called The Money Moment, where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. Today's money moment is stick to water. If you're trying to cut back on spending money, but still want to go out to eat, don't order that beloved cocktail or beer. Stick to water. This will significantly cut down on your expenses in eating out. And if you feel like you're going to miss out on drinking, feel free to pregame before you go. Do you have a money tip for us? Email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. Scott, I got to tell you, I love talking to you, but I hate talking to our attorneys. So I am going to say what they make me say. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I know Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal tax and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. All right. Now, let's talk about today's episode. I'm actually really excited to talk to John today because he has such an interesting problem. He makes a lot of money, but he has a huge expense coming down the pipeline. Yeah, he he certainly has some uh, of those financial decisions to contemplate here. Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high-cash-flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. 
the easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. John and his wife are looking to start a family through surrogacy. He is looking for guidance to refine his budget, especially with student loan payments kicking back in and dealing with a rental property, all while planning for this larger family expense. John, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. We're so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Let's start off with a snapshot of your money story. What is your financial situation? A financial situation is... My income grew significantly about two years ago. Um, we have been, you know, saving, investing diligently. Uh, however, about two years ago, we found out that, um, unfortunately we can't have a family, uh, family naturally. And so going through the process of figuring all that out, we discovered that we have to go through surrogacy. And, uh, for those of you that don't know, surrogacy is where you get an outside party, a third person to carry your uh, genetic child. Um, as you can imagine, it's not a cheap process. A lot of it isn't covered by insurance. A lot of it is coming out of pocket. And so with loans starting back up, surrogacy on the horizon, um, I was hoping to get some input and insight as to like how to maneuver my money a little bit. So let's talk about your money snapshot. You have a nice income. After taxes and insurance and all of that, you're having, you're making $11,640. That's not too shabby. Your, it, your expenses are about 4,500 fixed and 2,500 in variable on average, giving you about $7,000. Against $11,000, spending doesn't seem to be your problem. This leaves $4,600 left over. That sounds great. And then we go and look at your investments, which also sound really awesome. You have $351,000 in investments and $83,000 in cash. Your wife has almost $300,000 in investments and $121,000 in cash. Hooray, another awesome scenario. But wait, there's more. There's always more. We look at the debts, and that's where... Uh, some some fun stuff comes in. We have a car loan at $15,000, not insurmountable. A car loan, again, at $4,000, again, not insurmountable. Your wife's student loans are $11,000. You have mortgage number one, $289,000. Mortgage number two, $114,000. None of that I care about. It's your student loan, John, that I want to talk about. You have $362,000 in student loans. Is that Correct or is that a typo? That is correct. And uh, one other clarification, I think, is that uh, the eleven thousand you mentioned is um, every two weeks. Oh, oh, oh! So okay, wait a second. Hold the phone. <laughs> yeah. So you have a salary of twenty two thousand dollars monthly, and you're spending seven thousand dollars monthly. My math is wrong. Fifteen thousand dollars left over. That is gonna. Well, thank you for clarifying that because that changes my uh, conversation a whole lot. Because um, forty six hundred is nice left over, but fifteen thousand is even better. 
Um, however, you still have $362,000 in student loans. Is any of that forgivable? Yes, it is. So uh, we specifically chose where we live now and my current job because it is a nonprofit um, institution. And so the loans currently are in the PSLF program. So hopefully by 2027, those loans will be uh, forgiven. And how, how much of the balance will be forgiven? Is it all, is it all of the 370000 odd so the of the three hundred sixty odd thousand dollars, I believe three fifty of that will be forgiven in 2027. And then, is any of your wife's loans forgivable? Um, they were, and they still are. Um, however, she did not enroll in PSLF from the get go, and so she is behind in uh, payments theoretically. So we just decided that once the loans re- resume, we'll just pay those off. Okay. That was uh, before I knew that you had $15,000 extra every month. That was going to be my suggestion was to pay hers off because the PSLF, if I recall correctly, is a 10 or 20 year program. 10. 10. Okay. So if she's just starting that, you're going to be able to pay that off and get it out of the way instead of like worrying about it for 10 years. Yours are a touch higher and also um, almost gone. You have four years left. I would continue to go on that program. Um, and that kind of changes. So my first question was going to be, what is your greatest money pain point? But I was going to answer that as student loans. Is that still your greatest money pain point now that we know that you have the PSLF program? Uh, I think it is. And and I say that because, so I'll be paying a certain amount, theoretically, in September when they restart, I'll be at $300 per month for six months until I recertify my income. Once that happens, the payments will go from anywhere between a thousand five hundred a month to three thousand dollars. I can't get a good number based on like various calculators I've I've looked at online, and so I think that's gonna like in terms of our level of uh, monthly investments. It, I think it's gonna yeah, it's like a pain point because I don't know exactly how to maneuver the cash. So so let's go back a second. What is your job, and what is the likely progression for your income over the near future? So I work in medicine, and uh, frankly, there's not going to be a ton of uh, increase uh, yearly. Maybe keep up with previous theoretical inflation rates, maybe like one two percent a year. Okay. Um, so do you know when we talk? Like again, I, I'll pose Mindy's question again here. What is the the like? We we have I think a really good financial position here. We're able to accumulate a lot of cash on a regular basis. We know that in 2027, the bulk of the student loans will be forgiven. That will be a taxable event, I believe. Is that is that correct? With PSLF, it is not. In um, I think in like the the twenty year loan forgiveness, it's like a big tax bomb at the end. But with this one, it's not. It's just kind of gone. Okay. So so the 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 story for the next couple of years is we're going to be accumulating a lot of cash. Um, uh, in a general sense, we'll have the ability to accumulate that on our current base lifestyle. There will be an increase in the amount paid towards the student loans which will continue until 2027, but the entire balance will be forgiven tax-free, essentially, the 95% of it um, will be, uh, maybe 97% of it will be uh, forgiven uh, in 2027. And um, we're going to be able to invest a lot of money in the meantime, even on top of that, uh, the, those payments there. 
So what, what, is the is the question and is the 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 struggle what we should we do with that with those funds? We have we have some other um, items that are coming up here as well to think through. Yeah. So so foreseeably, my wife and I want to get the family started now, kind of because the process is so long. Um, and so the theoretically, I'll be paying let's say two thousand a month until twenty twenty seven, and we also need to like save money or take out a loan to to have a family. Um, we have money saved up currently for child number one, if everything goes well the first time around, but we'd like to ideally have like two or three kids and then adopt as well, which is not as expensive as surrogacy, but that's kind of um, our thought process as well. And so we want to save up a, a good amount of money to to do that. Okay. And can you explain the process of, of surrogacy so we can understand what the cost entails here and what the timeline looks like for um, this process? Okay, so you find out that you have to go through the surrogacy process. You then match up with an agency. The agency starts looking for um, a surrogate for you. Sometimes that timeline can take up to a year to get matched. You then get matched. The process for them to go uh, get medically cleared, you get medically cleared, can take several months. And then the surgery occurs and you go through like the regular uh, pregnancy process. So... The, that's the average rate for getting matched. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes the medical process going through the medications takes longer. And unfortunately, sometimes um, uh, the pregnancy doesn't occur. And so uh, we know people in the community that have gone through three previous surrogates before being successful. And so this is a process that can take years. So my wife and I have kind of been through this since 2020. And, um, you know, we're still going through it. Awesome. And you provided an estimate for us of, uh, you know, a, a multiple, a, a six figure sum mid, you know, 110 to 160,000. It looks like, um, is your estimate there? Is that kind of the ballpark that we should be thinking about here for, for that? Or is there even more fluctuation possible? Is that for one cost or is that for both of the um, potential children you'd like to have? So that's actually just for the one. And that's one if it's completely successful with no um, issues that arise. So it varies a little bit. Um, maybe 100 if you do it all on your own and you and your partner go through, you know, doing all the insurance stuff and contacting the surrogate and getting, finding one and doing all that on your own, which is essentially kind of like a part-time job in and of itself. And then there are certain agencies that um, will do the soup to nuts that for $150,000 flat, you don't do anything. They match you and go through the whole process and you never essentially see an insurance bill go to you. Everything just kind of goes through the agency. And so you have that variability there. Okay. And is this, and in, in, in that second case, it's paid in a lump, it sounds like 150 or maybe installments or like, is, is there a cash flow or financing component to this or is it? pay as you go? Or how, how do we think about financing this from a financial perspective? I want to say it's financing because a lot of the people that we have met um, haven't been as fortunate as we have in terms of like our cash flow. Um, so they've had to take out, you know, mortgages on their home and, um, and things like that to finance it. I'm sure there's loans that you can get for uh, like the surrogacy process. But from what we've gathered, it's you, it's kind of like lump sums that occur at different milestones throughout the process. Okay, so you're still accumulating approximately $15,000 a month right now um, that you could be putting into your cash pile for the surrogacy program. 
what is your timeline for surrogacy? You said you've been going through this since 2020. Have you paid anything into it yet? Or is this more of just conversation and you're about ready to get started? Thus far, we've paid $25,000 to the agency and we have a surrogate in place. And so we're in the process and now. Um, earlier when you were discussing our like cash reserves, a good chunk of that is for the first surrogacy. So I, I would say at least a hundred of that is just for the surrogacy. Okay. So I show about 200 in cash. Let's just, for the sake of this conversation, earmark that for surrogacy um, and any issues that could arise with that. You've paid 25 in so far. You have matched with the surrogate and now you're in the sciency part of it. A lot of science. Yeah. Okay. So how many rounds do you go with the surrogate before realizing it's not going to work or like, is there a set number? Ooh. Um, I don't know if there's a set number. Well, sort of. Well, so when you, when you first go through the process and we harvested eggs, we have four viable embryos. So essentially we have like four shots, um, of attempting pregnancy, uh, before we have to, you know, go through the whole sciencey stuff again. Um, my wife and I haven't talked about how many attempts we want to try with this current surrogate, but um, I don't know if there's like a scientific, like hard line, like you've tried this many times, you have to move on now. Okay. And when is your first embryo implantation going to happen? Hopefully in a few months. Um, we hit a couple roadblocks a few weeks ago. Um, we had to see other specialists in medicine and get clearance and get some treatments. And then hopefully we can reconvene in like two weeks to then do the implantation process. So this is potentially within the next year, if all goes according to plan, you will have the first baby, the first implantation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. At the same time that student loans are coming back. And so your 15,000 is going to be, let's, let's say it's going to be 3000 a month. Um, now you're going to be accruing $12,000 a month instead of $15,000 a month. That's still a really great savings plan. Uh, what is that? $144,000 a year, theoretically, and you know, life doesn't cooperate, but theoretically you could be saving for the next surrogacy for the whole year while the surrogate is getting ready to be pregnant and then being pregnant. And by the time the first baby is born, you could have enough money for the second baby um, all while still living the life that you're living and paying off your car, your wife's student loans. Um, I think that that should be, well, but that doesn't account for any investments. You're in your thirties right now. 35. I mean, Babies are, you've got a great start on the investments. Well, you know, look, look, I presume you don't want to have two, two children within six months of one another, right? Like this, you're going to have the first one, then you're going to wait a year or two and then have the second one, right? Uh, I don't know, honestly, because, because keep in mind that we have to do some sciencey stuff that is time dependent and, uh, and I don't think my wife would want to wait for that science C stuff to happen for two years from now. So I very much think that like we're going to kind of hop back on the bandwagon, hopefully as soon as the first one is, you know, hatched or born. <laughs> I've always I've always thought about re referring to uh, uh, my children as the trenchlings. So that hatched uh, uh, works really well with that. Um, 
So the, okay, so we've got uh, we've got presumably we're going to wait for child one to be born before second. You might start it immediately the next day, even, but you 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 wouldn't have one a, a second child going before the first one is born. Is that is that is that the plan? Yeah, exactly. So we want to like have have one have get go smoothly or smoothly as it can go, and then once that's kind of in place and we're good, then we'll do uh, hopefully a next one, the next one. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com 
Realtor.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Okay, great. So so we're going to accumulate $15,000 per month after tax in cash after your salary investments and expenses. Is that a is that a fair statement in terms of your go forward expectations and cash accumulation? Yeah, that's kind of roughly what it comes out to, yes. Okay, perfect. So that's $180,000 per year. So you have $200,000 currently. You need 150 ish, 150 160 to earmark towards surrogacy 1. By this time next year, you'll have right be right back at that number after cash flowing it before any investment returns or any other cash flow is considered. If you stick the $200,000 that is currently in your bank account into high yield savings accounts, that's going to generate a four to 5% yield. So that's about a thousand dollars a month, give or take there. Um, so that's 12 grand on top of, on top of this you're probably going to most most likely pay some of this incrementally throughout the process and not one big lump right now, right? Is that the is that, that's the current plan as I understand it? To give it in installments, is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we don't have a cash flow problem here. And so I guess I guess it's pretty simple for me for the next two years, right? Do you have do you have the cash for this now? Um you're in a responsible financial position to do this. Um, there's no reason not to, you have the ability to cash flow it for the next year, as long as, you know, we have, we have a stable, stable job situation. And so to me, the, the bigger, the higher level plan is how do we, you know, and, and we know we're going to get a knock on cash flow when you have to res- start paying the higher student loan amounts, but we're still going to have plenty of cash flow, hundred to $120,000 per year, um, that we're able to, to, to play with after child number two. And it, 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 it has, a uh, um, been, been, uh, the surrogacy has been paid for. Um, and, and after we've, uh, 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 um, you know, pay, started paying more for the student loan debt. So I see a path to by 2027, having your current investment situation remain largely unchanged, st- maintaining a strong and stable cash position throughout the entire thing, slowly amortizing your car loans, your, some of your student loans that are not going to be forgiven. And then your mortgages, and on top of that, having another quarter million dollars in cash accumulated, which we can deploy towards some type of investment. How re- and, and at 2027, that's the position you're going to be sitting in is today with no student loan debt, $250,000 more to invest. And so the, the, the plan is what do we want that position to look like in 2027, which is really the next, uh, which is the moment when your financial position will be completely overhauled, right? We'll be looking at a completely different, fresh set and a new, uh, the next, you know, uh, what's the word? Next era in John's financial life here, right? That's, that's what we want to look, we're, we're trying to back into. Um, how's that sound? Am I, am I thinking about this the right way? Is this, is this how you, you think about your situation? Uh, I, I think so. Sort of. I mean, a lot of that cash reserve that we have currently is some of that's kind of earmarked tro- towards certain things like, um, you know, um, emergency funds or a uh, house or um, a travel, you know, things like that, that my wife and I uh, do. So that 200 or so that we have currently is not all of it just sitting there with no purpose. It has kind of like a, a job of sorts. Yeah. I, I figured you have $50,000 for life and 150 for the surrogacy that like, that's kind of how I bucketed it. 
in a, in a big block is it sounds like you're much more prescriptive in detail, which is awesome about how you bucket um, the cash. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So if I was in a similar position, I would do everything that Scott said, except I would prioritize any, anything like if you have a 401k or whatever the 401k option is at your place that has a match. If your company has any sort of match, I would do that. I would contribute enough to get that match. If you have an HSA plan, I would continue to max that out because that is triple tax advantaged. It's not taxed going in. It grows tax deferred and spending is tax free when it's a qualified expense. Uh, you're going to have a lot of qualified expenses. I looked into my crystal ball and kids do a lot of things that need uh, medical bills covered. So um, it's just even Band-Aids and that kind of thing. You're going to be up to your eyeballs in Band-Aids, although you could probably get them at work. But anyway, um, so anything like that, any, uh, I don't want to call it free money because it's uh, 401k matches are like part of your country, uh, your compensation. HSA accounts aren't free, but they are triple tax advantage, which is my favorite. I love not paying taxes when I don't have to. Um, but after that, then I would prioritize just putting it in cash because you've got such a solid foundation, because you have such a bright future, financially speaking, um, I would then take and either, like Scott said, because you're not making lump sum payments, cash flow the surrogacy payments and keep this existing 200 in cash in cash just in case. Um and by cash, I agree with Scott, a high yield savings account, not just in a bucket under your bed, um, but easily accessible. I would not put it in the stock market um, because while stock market is great for long-term growth, you need it in the short term and you want to make sure that you have it available. If the stock market has a sudden 50% drop, I have full faith that it will eventually recover past performance is not indicative of future gains, but I have every confidence that it will recover eventually. It may not recover in time for you to actually use it. So I would keep it as liquid as possible, which is um, a high yield savings account. Maybe even look into certificates of deposit that have like a one year time frame. Do they have six month CDs? I'm not sure. Um, but maybe if they pay more, you don't need it for a year because you can cash flow everything, then you get a slightly higher rate. Um, but other than that, I think you have a great financial future and taking two years off of investing isn't awesome, but you're doing something else with the money on purpose. And, you know, growing a family is a good use of your money. I think that's that's the tough part for me to swallow is putting a hold on investing just because in medicine, we we start a little bit later. And so I don't have like the compounding effects from my 20s. And so... I know I have a decent amount saved up, but still it's, I don't know, it's like a mental block to just stop completely putting money into that bucket. I don't think you have to. I I, I think the, the the situation is right now you're, 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 you have a good investment portfolio. Like we just said, you can cash flow the, um, uh, the, the, the two children here in the situation, and you're going to accumulate $250,000 over the next three to four years in investable in the next four years in investable liquidity. And to Mindy's point, you know, yeah, I, I agree that a a logical approach where I'd start with is maxing out the HSA, taking the 401k match, you know, maxing out maybe the 401k 
the Roth IRA and then after tax investments in either uh, real estate or stocks with whatever's left over. But yeah, you're going to accumulate $250,000 in investable liquidity that you could invest over this time period while cash flowing um, the, the, the um, surrogacy for both of your children. So I think, I think that's a, a pretty good overall situation. Is it the great, you know, like, like you, you could, yes, can, uh, accumulate another $300,000, but you, you would prefer to have a family and that's super reasonable, right? That's not something you're gonna be able to do in three, four, five, seven, ten 10 years as easily as you can do it right now. And you have the means. So I, I think, I think if, if I'm in your shoes hearing what you're saying, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna accept the reality that this is cash out, out the door for this purpose. I can invest it because what am I going to do? Like put it in a, in, a, in like a, a, an investment that could possibly be at risk and then delay the birth of the next child because the an, an investment didn't work out. Right. That's just, I, that's a non-starter for me in this situation. It's gotta be liquid. It's gotta be safe. Um, and, and, and set aside for this purpose. So it's not investable beyond whatever you're going to earn in a high yield savings account in an FDIC insured bank. Um, and so the, that, that's it. And then we think about, okay, what does this game look like in 2027? How do I get the best, most flexible, strongest position um, that that gives my my fam my future family all the options in the world at 27? And guess what? You have a great shot at becoming close to, you know, can you get to a million? You might be able to, you probably will get close to a million dollars in net worth or, you know, three quarters of the way there by 2027 once that student loan debt is wiped and we've got another $250,000 that we've added to the pile, plus the investment, any investment returns and amortization of your debt. How's that? How, how am I doing here? I, I, I kind of said this earlier, but am I, am I getting any closer with this? I think so. I think so. I think um, when I have like you guys, like outside sources telling me like, hey man, it's okay. Just put money towards like the kids. Like this is the right thing to do. It's a, like, I know it's the right thing to do. It's just that weird mental block. It's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's it, right? It's, it's, it's like, what's the right thing to do? There's no right thing to do, right? So if, if you want the advice for how to get, how to make the biggest pile of money in, you know, 30 years at retirement age, then the answer is don't have kids. That's a terrible answer, right? Like, how, how, you know, I, I can't imagine, like, I, I love my daughter so much. It's, it's so wonderful. I hope you, you, you have the same type of experience with your future children there. I know how much Mindy loves her kids, but like, is it like, uh, like, would I be richer? You're like, sure. Right. There's, but it's just, that's just not the game you're playing right now. I think within this situation and the reality of your situation is that this is the way to make that work and you can do it responsibly. You don't have to take out an, a second mortgage or put yourself into debt, um, uh, more debt and to do it. You just, you just have, you've accumulated the cash because you've studied hard and went into the medical profession and have a great income to, to pay for it. Yeah, you're right. I, um, yeah, it's a, it, I, we're very fortunate in terms of in, in that regard. So uh, I can't complain too much. Yeah, I'd be way richer if I didn't have kids, but I can't spend all the money I have now. So uh, have you heard of the rule of 72? Just to drive this point home a little bit more. The rule of 72 tells us that you should be able to double your money every seven ish years. So assuming a normal rate of uh, uh what assuming mark long-term market returns stay more or less the same. So I've done some math for you at age 35, you have $500,000 doubling seven years from now, you'll be 42, a million dollars. That's just with no additional ever actually going back in age 49. You have 2 million age 56. You have 4 million age 63. You have 8 million. That's just coast. Fi. If you want to continue to put more money in, you'll have 
more money sooner? How much can you spend? Uh, I guess if you ask my wife, we can spend a lot more. <laughs> I mean, in the next couple of years, you're going to be spending a lot of money, but you're going to be spending money on good things. You will, and you can cash flow what you're spending on. I mean, you could cash flow the first one and then cash flow the next one. It takes a while for them to cook. You guys are bringing in 250 grand a year. You have to live like you're bringing in 70 a year for the next couple of years until 2027. Like I mentioned with that, right? At in at when you're when 2027 rolls around, like again, that's the the whole picture is going to be completely different, right? Because this loan's going to be out of there. Both of their kids will be born or hatched. Um, life will be good, and and you're going to probably presumably continue to increase this excellent salary over that time period, like I mentioned. So I, again, I, I really think that's where you got to be thinking. How do I back into the most advantageous position in 2027? Because right now with the goal of having these two children, you're not going to be able uh, in a realistic sense to earmark way more capital than we've currently got to investments that are going to cash flow, unless you're going to, unless you're, you're willing to risk the timeline with the births of these children uh, as a result of that, it's a unique circumstance, but I, I don't think you can afford any risk with the cash that you're earmarking for this purpose, in, in, in my opinion. Yeah, you're still investing. You're just investing in a different thing. You're investing in your family. Yeah, one of the kids will pay for your retirement. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, uh, you know, retirement village that you retire to, and the other will visit you. So this is going to be really, really good investment. So I'm investing in my future is what you're saying with these kids. They'll take care of me. <laughs> That's always a guarantee. If you have kids, they are guaranteed to take care of you in your old age. Oh, perfect. <laughs> also, I just want to clarify to anybody listening, the hatched comment came from John first. That's right. Yes. We just, we just, uh, we just continued uh, uh, along that, that one. Yeah, it's all in good fun. You know, it's one of those things that it can be a really sensitive topic and uh, there's a lot of emotion surrounding it, but I try to make light of it because what else are you going to do? I think I totally respect and admire that. So this is awesome. This is a, a hard situation, but also one that you are, you're prepared for financially, right? Your, 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 your household is ready to take on this challenge, this, this, this financial decision, this investment, this, the start of this family. John, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. This is a tough, you know, a, a situation, a very personal situation. So thank you for sharing it. I'm sure that other folks are thinking about these things um, and having trouble with, with the trade-offs that they involve. Um, we hope this was helpful for you today and, and uh, would love to hear about how things kind of pick turn out over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, it's a personal topic and it's hard for a lot of people. And if there's anyone going through it out there, I just know that there's a ton of support groups out there. There's a lot of uh, message boards. Facebook has a ton of groups for that. And um, they've been really good in terms of just getting more information and, and assistance. So I'd highly recommend uh, looking for those resources. Awesome. Thank you, John. That was really helpful. I really appreciate your time today. No, thank you, guys. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Scott, that was John. And that was a very interesting discussion. I think he set himself up very well financially. And I think he faces a problem that a lot of people face. I want to invest, but I can't. But I want to and I have the means, but I also have this big expense that I am looking at. And it can be really tempting to put that money in the stock market. I hope that he takes our advice to just leave it in liquid cash or even a certificate of deposit or something that pays a little bit more than a high yield savings account. But 
keeps it fairly accessible because it isn't something to be invested right now. He, well, it is invested. It's going to be invested in his family. Yeah. And, and you know, for, for, for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of this person where if it's, if I'm buying my forever home, right? Well, I'm going to invest in the stock market and figure it out. And if things go well, I'll buy it sooner. And if things go worse, I'll buy it later. Like that's, you know, while some people would be very risk averse to that because they want, that's a huge decision. Like for me, that's the way I would view it. But with a child, I feel like you've really got to be able to have that cash. Like you can't invest the funds that are going to be used to create a family with that. I think, I think you have no choice but to put the stick it into a, a, a FDIC insured deposit account, uh, make sure it's available for that purpose and, and nothing can interrupt it. If that's the the core plan, we got to make sure that that gets done, um, before, before we invest. I mean, you can, um, and I guess, you know, there's a case for some, some other ways to, to think about it, but that that's, that's for me, how I would be approaching this particular decision in that situation. And I, I also want to highlight, like, there's just chapters of life sometimes where something's got to conclude, right? Kids are in college and you're cash flow in college. You've made that decision. Like maybe you got to wait until college is over to really begin aggressively planning out the next, how you're going to deploy hundreds of, you know, whatever, 50 tens of thousands of dollars in cash that you're going to be uh, accumulating because that expense is out. Right. In this case, you know, we've got two children to, to go through the surrogacy process with that's several hundred thousand dollars that can't be invested. We just got to get through that period. And we know we're getting this huge loan forgiven. Like let's, let's just zoom out, accept the reality of the next situation, finish, the, enjoy this chapter of life, and then get serious about the next wave of financial uh, uh, decisions that are going to be much more meaningful right after that. And of course, we can put a little bit of strategy to that by determining whether we want to be a tax-advantaged investor with HSAs and 401ks, or that we want to be building a little bit more of a flexible position uh, in after-tax liquidity, maybe with some more real estate or, or after-tax investments or debt. Um, that's the decision. That's the relatively minor or relatively lower stakes decision that John has to confront in the next couple of years. Uh, and the higher stakes investment decisions will come in the next chapter uh, in 2027 and beyond. Well, I would like to hear from our listeners. We suggested a high yield savings account or even a certificate of deposit. Are we missing anything? Do you have any tips for higher yield accounts that are still very liquid? And a certificate of deposit isn't super liquid. You have to, it's kind of locked in for a year or maybe six months or 18 months or whatever. Um, but do you have any suggestions for John? Come on over to our Facebook group and share your ideas. Facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. All right, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, finally back from vacation. I am Mindy Jensen saying cheerio, mistletoe. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. 
four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.